0: And God bless you. If you have your Bibles this morning, just please stand with me out of respect to the word of God. We're going to turn to what I believe is a very familiar portion of scripture, Genesis chapter 15. While you're turning there, I do want to give honor to my pastor, great, tremendous, mighty anointed man of God, man that I have come to love over many decades. I met my, our pastor when he was a little boy. And uh, I wasn't so much older than him, but I was older than him. And have been able, been privileged to watch the Lord use him in so many mighty ways as he's grown to become a tremendous man of God. And certainly I give him and Sister Staten tremendous honor. Um, amen. It would be easy for some of us to say, well, you know, I'm older, I'm this or I'm that, but I appreciate a voice that's not fearful to speak into my life the things that I need to hear. Amen. A voice that guides and leads, that provides for my family spirituality. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm thankful for our pastor, Pastor Jason Staten, that he's a man that you can follow. Amen. Amen. We don't just say that lightly, and I don't say that lightly. It, Brother Trey said it this morning, it's a privilege and an honor to stand before the people of God. I appreciate here this morning a few people came over and laid their hands on my back, began to pray as, as they knew I was going to minister this morning with the help of the Holy Ghost, and that's important. Why? Because the Word of God is always bigger. It's always greater than any man could ever be. Amen. But God uses men to communicate the Word of God. So a couple things as we get into the Word this morning. I want to say so much more I appreciate our online audience, everyone who's not able to be here this morning. Thank you for joining us online. To all of you, thank you for coming out. What an amazing crowd we have. I'm aware of quite a few people out of town, and there is a great crowd here this morning. So good to see all of you. Some of you I haven't seen for a while. Some of you I've never even met, but I'm looking forward to doing so this morning. And uh, tonight we're going to have a great service. I've got a couple special treats for you. Brother Chequan is going to be bringing the 10 minutes of fire. I'm so excited about that, what God is doing to some of our young people. And then Brother Cade Wallace. How many of you have met Brother Cade? He's been here all summer. What a tremendous blessing. He's been to Living Hope. I think we might have been a little bit of a blessing to him, but we're glad that he's here. He's going to be preaching the word. Amen, and I'm so excited about that. What a tremendous young men! Uh, just as you're holding your finger there, uh, I want to let you know that on the 28th, Pastor Staten, he seems to be getting older. I notice that the grayer I get, the older he gets. I'm not sure how that's happening. Maybe because he doesn't have any gray, he shaves it all off. But he's getting a little bit older. He's not as old as I am, but our birthdays are close together. And he's um, he's uh, just under 10 years older than I am. And so on the 28th, uh, we had a couple special treats. We're gonna the 28th is his birthday. Uh, Mine is before that, just a few days. And and uh, I I wish we could switch ages because I felt a lot better at 46 than I do at 56. But some, some of y'all smiling at that, but it'll, it'll happen to you. Uh, but we want to uh, appreciate him so much, and so I just want to make a, a shameless plug for the Shepherds Fund. Uh, we would like to be able to bless him, and we're going to do it regardless, but we're going to bless him. I know Brother Irving was here, and Brother Irving makes handmade suits tailored suits. And so we'd love to be able to bless pastor. I know he's ordered a suit just to give him the cash money. So any of you that have maybe not given lately to the shepherd's fund, and you'd like to, I know this is not very spiritual, but really it is because the Bible tells us to give honor where honor is due. And, uh, you know, I know that on your birthday, you like to get honored, right? You want somebody to give you something, no matter, even if it's just a, a meal, a little something, it just means that they love you, and it's certainly not something that we have to do, it's something that we get to do. And so, uh, if you think about that tonight, on your, or this afternoon on your way out, if you pick up one of those Shepherds Fund envelopes and drop a couple dollars in that and gift, it would be a great blessing. Amen. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, the Word of God says, and after these things, The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I don't have any children? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir, And and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, he said unto Abram, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Lay your Bibles down and lift a hand with me this morning. I want to minister. I feel strongly in my spirit. I want to preach about making faith count this morning. In Jesus' name, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We bless you, God, for the remaining moments of this service. I plead the blood of Jesus. I pray for the covering and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, God, greater than me, greater than any person here, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, that your anointing, that your grace and your goodness would move through this room. Lord, I pray, Lord, right now that you would help us in every conceivable way as we move forward. God, bless the word. Bless, Lord, every heart, every mind. Uh, I bind the spirit of distraction, and I release the spirit of ministry. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands under the Lord and give him some great praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We'll start out this morning with a question. How many ways or how many different ways can you count? Most of us can count by one. One, two, three, four. I'm doing pretty good, Brother Josh. Five. Some of us can count by twos. Help me out. Two, four, six. Now, some of you educated folks could even go by three. Three, six, nine, 12, right? And in, we got into grade school, we learned how to count by fives and, and even by tens. But counting in English, because it's my, my, my first language, I don't find that difficult. I did come to the Hispanic service last night, and Brother Sanchez did a great job ministering the Word, but I found that so difficult sometimes to to understand the interpretation and listen to the preacher at the same time. But what I I found was that counting in Japanese is a whole different matter altogether. Now, I I went to a great source, Wikihow, gives an example of three different ways to count to ten in Japanese. Now, uh, just for uh, argument's sake, they were all Greek to me. But... Thank you. Riley got it. Okay. But in Japanese, it's not simply adding up the total that is difficult. It's, it's more so choosing, and some of you certainly would know a lot more about this than I do. It's choosing the right word to express the sum that is hard, a feat that I will not even attempt to explain. And so take my word for it. If you begin to try to learn how to count in Japanese, it probably will, you'll probably get the same effect that I did. It'll probably make your head hurt. Because what I found through this great, tremendous source of WikiHow was in Japanese, long objects like pencils are counted differently than small objects like candy. One would be ipon and the other one be eko. Makes, again, makes no sense to me. They said that in Japanese, birds are counted differently than cows. I'm not sure how you do that. They called it piki or ito. I'm not sure if I'm even pronouncing that right, but. Uh, you know, I think, you know, five cows and five birds would be five equals five. But in Japanese, that's not necessarily the case. The, the, the writer went on to say that people in Japanese are counted differently than paper. Again, I, the smoke began to rise. The heat came up. And so while you and, I, you and I may never learn to count Japanese, we must all learn to count on Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now I began to look at this a little bit different and I, I promise you I'm going to preach a little different than I maybe normally would but our, our English word count has several different de- definitions and of those definitions there are multiple connotations That obviously we understand how to count. We did this earlier, one, two, three, four, five and I'm, 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 I'm pretty much done about there. But we count in order to determine a total or to get a sum and, and so this same English word count also means that something is significant. And so it carries the idea that when we say that really counts, it matters. Now, I know when you're, when you're playing golf, anybody, any golfers out there, when you play golf, some of us amateurs, not the professionals, you know, we, they call it a mulligan. And so a mulligan, that means the shot that I just took doesn't, doesn't count. And, and truthfully, uh, a good friend of mine told me that you're just lying to yourself And I said, leave me alone, it's me and myself so we can lie to ourselves, that's okay. But the truth is, we understand how to count and we understand what really counts. And so for every one of us in this room today, we have learned to count on someone or to count on something. And so there are many different ways to count. There are many different things to count on. The, the psalmist would write it this way in Psalms chapter 20, verse 7, when he said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. We're going to count upon the name. Does anybody know how to count on the name of Jesus? And so my point is, That every one of us counts on something and every one of us trusts in someone. And and so even I find that the non-religious world, the non-religious people in our world have a, a deeply held set of beliefs about the world around them. And what they know is they know on who they can count and they know those people that they cannot count on. Anybody got a family member? They always say they're going to be there, but something always comes up and you just, you just can't count on them, right? And, and so in, a, in the world around us, some people are, are counting on money and some people are, 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 are counting on education or the economy or government and some, uh, I guess in this pandemic world, are counting on science. You go right ahead and knock yourself out, sweetheart. But in a world with so many variables and so many choices, what, what, what can we really, truly count on? I mean, they can't all be right. I mean, you know, and and you're in church today, so hopefully you know you can count on the Lord. And so how is it that we can determine who we can count on and who we can't? And so what you believe about God and what you believe about the world in, in both of those things is vitally important. Because what you believe has a direct impact upon the decisions that you're going to make. And so in my mind, in my heart, I I just have to think that it would be really sad for someone to make it all the way through life and to find out that the things that they had counted on were not able to sustain them. So this morning or this afternoon as we turn the clock here, I I want to take a, 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 a moment to look at a couple of biblical principles to help us make our faith count. And so, the connecting link in the story, and give me just a moment here to lay some foundation. The connecting link in, in, in the story of our text is the previous chapter, the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 15. The writer says, After these things. And so, many times in the spiritual realm, our, dy- our, our darkest trial seems to follow our greatest victories. But it is this exact scenario, this after these things, is referring to what happened in chapter 14. The Bible says in chapter 14 that the king of Elam had united his forces with those of three other specific kings to form a league of conquest. And so they had tremendous great military prowess and they were a formidable adversary. If you were to go back, and we won't, for the sake of time, read chapter 14, what you would find is together they were able to conquer the Rephims and the Zuzims and the MMs and, and they defeated the Horites and the Amalekites and the Amorites, and anybody else who was a knight. they might have found, they probably defeated them as well. And so this group were literally terrorizing the world around them. And so in this region where Abraham lives, acting out of fear and self-preservation five other kings got together these neighbors of Abraham and they responded by combining their forces to engage the armies of king Chedorlaomer of Elam and they too were defeated tremendous they got together and said hey we're going to get we're going to be we're going to get overrun individually so we'll combine our forces and we'll fight And they were completely destroyed. And and the result was that those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, you may have heard of them, were ransacked. And Abraham's nephew Lot and his family were taken prisoner. Well, Abraham, being the great man of God that he was, he leads his small, but uh, I'm assuming merry band of 318 workers and servants. Nothing indicates that they were soldiers. Nothing indicates that they were warriors. And they make a surprise night attack. I'm sure they had NVG goggles, and they had some SEAL training. I'm not sure what all they had. But they slip in there at night, and they defeat this army of the king of Elam, and and they they save Lot and his family, and they recover everything that was stolen. Now, I find this really an amazing feat, right? Abraham and just a, a group of guys who really probably weren't warriors, they go in at night, and they defeat this terrorizing army. And so, I mean, I can hear Abraham, right? No weapon formed against him. He's going to prosper. He's singing and shouting and dancing. But then all of this goes on through time, and life kind of gets back to normal, and reality sets in, and this very inevitable but very human reaction begins to happen in the mind of Abram. It's called worry, anxiety, that, that little feeling that you've had, that I've had, that happens in the back of the mind. It began to wonder, what is going to happen now? Now, we know, we understand that this dilemma is real. It's both a physical and it's a mental aspect of life. What you, you, you get through that great thing, and you, you make it through that thing, and now you begin to wonder to yourself, what's going to happen to me now? What's going to happen to us now? And so we've all been there, but the truth is that no victory ever comes without cost. And so in our story, Abraham had good reason to believe that those remaining followers of the once powerful king of Elam, who's now dead, this powerful league of nations was now reduced to an axis of evil that they would not abandon their, their, their pursuit of conquest. But they were going to, he would say, you know what? We snuck in there at night and we had a decisive victory, but I'm not convinced that this battle is over. And I've come to preach to some folks that are dealing with that kind of anxiety in a world that we live in, in a world that is, that is overwhelmed with, with influence and, and information that we've, we've made it through this. We've come through this and we've got a tremendous victory. I mean, we're all back in the house of God and we're all worshiping together and, and there's not as much fear, but there's that little voice uh, that begins to pop up in the, in the mind of our humanity that says, what now, when, uh, and so there's some of you that are sitting here this morning, and you're waiting for the next shoe to drop Uh, when's the next pandemic or when's the next variant coming or the next outbreak coming what's going to happen to us next and it's in this context that the Lord comes to Abram in a a vision to the only man that God calls his friend and and I I feel the, the spirit of God comes in and says don't worry my friend I am your shield I want you to understand this is the first time that this great revelation is is referenced throughout all of Scripture. One of the greatest themes that you're ever going to find, the greatest revelation that God would ever give (coughs) give to humanity is that I am It's not an I, I was, or I will be, or an even I can be. It was simply I am. This revelation, this narrative that would continue throughout the rest of the book that we would see that even today, some thousands of years later, that whatever you need, I am. It would become iconic throughout the Bible. Moses, when you get down to Egypt, you just tell him, I am has sent you. When you get down there and you begin to talk to my people, you just tell them the I am that I am has sent you to me. They'll understand because they know that in that time of worry and that time of anxiety and that time of pressure, that when Abraham was laying awake at night and wondering what was going to happen next, that I appeared to him in a vision and I said, I am your shield. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Moses, don't forget. When you get down and see that mean old Pharaoh, you tell him, I am has sent me to you to deliver my people. I want to tell somebody this morning, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be upset. You don't have to live in anxiety. You don't have to wonder when the shoe's going to drop or the variant's going to come out. You got the I am on your side. Come on, I need a little bit of help this morning. In our text, Abraham hears the voice of the Lord speaking to him, and he said, I am your shield. I I began to think about this, and I, I said, you know what? The shield, it symbolizes one of the greatest benefits of being a child of God. The shield is the ultimate form of protection in their day. But that shield represents, Brother Henderson, our safety and our security. I want someone to understand that as a child of God, you're not necessarily under the protection of the government or the people or society. You are under the protection of the I am. Come on. I'm not being shielded by science. I'm not being shielded by worry. I'm not being shielded by humanity. I'm being shielded by the I am. Come on, some of you aren't getting, you're not picking up what I'm laying down. You could have a shield around you. You could live in a bulletproof house, but it won't shield you like the I am. I can only imagine how tremendous the fear and anxiety was because Abraham still could count. There are only 318 of us, and we're not really skilled. We haven't been to SEAL training, and we don't really have NVG, and we really don't have machine guns and all of this stuff. But I, I know we got lucky. We were just blessed to go in there and have that victory. But I am not convinced that they're going to give up. And now I'm worried. Now I'm I can't sleep at night and God shows up in a a vision and says, let me tell you something, my friend. I am your shield. I am your protection. I am your safety. I am your shelter. I am your high tower. I am the place that you can run into. The shield is a place of protection from injury and trauma, But it's more than that. The shield is not really a weapon. Now, I know to whom I'm preaching this morning, and God doesn't say to Abraham, I am your sword. He doesn't say to Abraham, I, I am that big rock you can, you can sling," or I'm not a club, I'm not, I'm not even a pistol or, or a machine gun or any kind of weapon. But he says in this moment of anxiety, in this moment of trepidation and worry, he said, I am your shield, I am your covering, I am your protection. And it's obvious to me that Abraham, this great man of God, a man of faith, was dealing with a spirit of fear. He was upset. He was feeling vulnerable. He was feeling defenseless. He was feeling unsafe and unprotected. He was abandoned. He felt that way. He felt like the lone soldier on a battlefield without any bullets for his gun. And Abraham, he's, he said, you know, like uh, worry sets in, and what happens to him happens to us, and we go into self-protection mode. Our humanity, we try so desperately to control what happens to us and to protect ourselves from harm. And why wouldn't we, right? That's just the natural reaction because we're being constantly bombarded by horrible news and mass shootings and people being gunned down in the streets and uh, all these natural disasters, unexplainable, happening over and over again. And we're dealing with tragic losses, All of those moments that prove that great, incredible fragility of life and danger is always working, and we're just waiting for something bad to happen. The the, the reality is life is out of control. We're we're living in a fallen world, and atrocities are everywhere, and I'm sure you can relate at least on some level. The social media is all off the hook, and the news in the world all connected. All of these things are that's been documented that it's all detrimental to our mental health. And it makes us feel powerless and unsafe and unsure, wondering what the, the next name on that list of tragedy, that next name of victim is going to be on that list. And the truth is that many of us have someone that we know we can count on, someone that we know will be there no matter what. If they can be, they will be. You've got a friend, you got a relative that would literally charge hell with a bucket of ice water if that's what it took. That's great. That's wonderful, but they can't always be there for you. The difference I want to preach this morning, what's going to make your faith matter, What's going to make your faith count is when you understand that people can only do so much, that humanity can only do so much, that the government can only, that science can only. I know I got good people that got my back. I know I got some friends and some relatives and some brothers and sisters who would be there for me if I needed it. But there's something about somebody having your back and there's a difference in a God who's your shield because God doesn't have your back. He's got the front. Oh, somebody here, what I'm preaching this morning, he's not behind you. He's, He's in front of you. That shield isn't doing you no good back here, but that shield is out here. Oh no, 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 no! hold on, hold on, hold on. You can count on him. Some of you men before before the Lord may have had some trouble in some of those establishments that you shouldn't have been in. I'm just saying. I, I remember that vaguely. And you had a friend with you, right? And when time, you know, push come to shove, you turned around and hopefully that friend was there because it was now five on one. I'm just saying I heard. And if that friend was a real friend, they'd be there to help you take some of that beat down with you. I mean, hello? Some of y'all act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Thank God if you don't know. But there's such things as fair-weathered friends, and they got your back. I got to tell somebody that Jesus Christ, he don't have your back. He's out in front of you. He's protecting you. He's securing you. Come on, somebody. He's a shield. And in your moment of fear, in the middle of anxiety and trepidation, you don't have to worry. Come on. He said, I'm out here. I am your shield. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. God is your field. He's defending. He's protecting. Blow after blow, taking the punishment for you. Here's the difference, brother Josh. Now come here help me out. Well, no, no, no. You, you're you're terrible at this. Sit down, brother Cade, Come help. Me. I, we've been. I love brother Josh, but he, brother Jess, he doesn't ad lib well, does he? He doesn't ad lib well. I, I just I love you here. So we're gonna pretend. You got a sword in your right hand. Okay? I've got a shield in my left hand. Okay? You're gonna pretend that don't okay. <laughs> We're gonna pretend that you're gonna swing the sword up and I'm gonna deflect it with my shield. I so all y'all don't see all this, is okay? We're gonna pretend don't hit me. <laughs> okay? That's because Brother Josh, he don't understand some things sometimes. We're just okay. So Swing your sword. Ping. Do it again. Boom. Do it again. Boom. Come on. Come on. Come on. Fight. Come on. Ha, 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 Come on. Somebody you don't understand, here's what's happening in the spiritual realm. He, come on. The enemy is swinging the sword, but you're feeling the impact. You're feeling the blow, but he's absorbing the punishment. Oh, yeah, the attack is real. You feel the impact. You hear the sound of metal against the shield. But God, the Lord is absorbing. No, 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 no. I got Bible for you. God said, I'm going to judge Egypt and all you good people live there. But I want you to put a shield on the doorpost and on the lintel. It's called the blood. And when the death angel comes by and he's destroyed throughout the land, you're going to see the impact. You're going to hear about it, but it's not going to come nigh your dwelling. Come on, somebody. The old timers used to plead the blood because they understood the blood of Jesus. That was shed on Calvary, that same blood. It's a shield for you. And sin is still making an impact. And sin is still raising its ugly head. And sin is still wearing you down. But every time you come to an altar and get a fresh covering of the blood, and you begin to confess, all you he's accepting the punishment. Boom. 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 Bang. Clang. Come on, somebody. I got a shield. I know those armies aren't giving up. I know the devil hasn't quit, but I got a shield. And I know there's some good people that are worried about their past. Oh, you're worried that past is going to pop up. And there's some others they're worried about their future, and they're worried about what's going to happen in the future. And some of you are dragging that past and you're just waiting for it to raise its ugly head and to call you back. You've got to understand when it begins to call. I got a name that's above every other name. I got a tower that's a strong tower that I can run into and find safety. He's my protection. Hallelujah. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Give God some praise. Give God some praise. Give God some praise. Come on, Jesus. You can count on him. You can put your trust in him. But here's the deal with the shield. David wrote it this way in Psalms chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, and we sing the song, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Anybody understand that? Many, there are people that are saying about David, there is no help in God for him. But, here's what David said, O Lord, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. You see there's a difference here. I began to read through the Psalms over 16 times. The writer just in the Psalms referred to God as the shield. He says this in Psalms 18.35 Thou hast also given me a shield of thy salvation. Psalms 33 and 20. He is our help and our shield. The difference, what makes the shield effective in your life. It's not just a shield. It's not just the Shield, it's my shield. Somebody's got to take ownership in the Holy Ghost. I am a child of God, the devil is a liar and the father of all lies and he's come into the church and he said God doesn't care and God's not interested and God won't save you from that and God won't deliver you from that but what has to happen he, you got to get a vision you got to you letting worry and anxiety and trepidation talk into your spirit and let the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. It's my shield. Thou, oh Lord, art a shield for me. For me. You got to claim that for yourself. That's how you make your faith count. That's how you make it matter. A lot of people believe God, and they believe that he's a sovereign God, able to do anything, but they just don't believe that he'll do it for them. And there's a difference, my friend. It's a demarcation point when you begin to believe that God loves me, that God saved me, and God's going to deliver me. It makes a difference. I want to preach, Brother Josh, about the great exceeding reward, but I'm going to leave that for another day. I told you today that we're going to do some, some counting. and I'm going to give you some new math. I, I've told you all before, and I hope you remember, so please don't send me any math problems because I am inadequate. I don't, I don't do math well. Beyond my checkbook, I'm done. But there's some unsolvable equations in life, and I'm going to give you one of them this morning. Faith equals trust. What are you talking about? That's not even good math. No, no, really. The classic definition of faith is that faith is the substance of things, what hope for, and the evidence of things not seen. But this word substance in the King James is translated being sure in other renderings. In the Greek, it means substance or confidence or assurance. And so if you're like me, you probably have a gap in your life from time to time. I'm not talking about between your teeth or something like that. I'm talking about a gap where this gap is actually between what I expect God to do and what God actually does. Now, I know... This is really difficult for you to understand, but for me, I label things and I call it my trust gap. And so my trust gap shows up when I am worried about something or when I'm wondering about something. And somewhere in the middle of this great vision, in the conversation with Abraham and God, it turns from I'm your shield, I'm your protector, I'm your great and exceeding reward to what about me? What about my promise? And I thought, wait a minute now. I've been there more than once. I've been talking to God about his greatness, and all of a sudden the conversation between me and God turns to, hey, God, what about me? Now, I know it's selfish and self-serving, but the reality is for every one of us, we've been there. Two of you are not going to leave me hanging. The point is that faith does not equal trust. It's kind of like Japanese math. They're they're not counted the same way. There's a problem when you start counting faith and counting trust. Why? Because they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing in life. They're not the same thing biblically. They have a very different definition. Faith is built on things that is hoped for and things that we cannot see. Faith, or trust rather, is measured by, right, it's measured by something substantial, like a relationship or a precedent, Right? And so as I began to look in Scripture, faith is measured. To every man is given a measure of faith. And faith is quantifiable. You can see little faith or great faith or saving faith. And so you can see all of these different things. But here's, here's the deal. While trust has this building on something that's precedent or relationship, many people confuse faith with God with trusting God. Now, faith is a noun. Like I said, it's something that you have or something that you possess. It's the the substance. It's the evidence, those things that we hope for, those things that we can't see. But trust, on the other hand, is a verb. It has action tied to it. And it's something that you do. It's an action that you take. And so faith always comes first, and it's the precursor to trust. So what I'm saying is you can't have trust without faith, right? Right? and you're not going to get, you're, you have to have, that's just the order of things. And so how is it that I respond to my trust gap? How do I make my faith count? The writer in Proverbs said it this way, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your steps. That's great, man. I'm acknowledging God. Good job, God. I acknowledge him. That's not it. Acknowledging, if you go a little bit deeper, is admitting and accepting and conceding that God knows more than I know. I can stand in this room in front of all you people and I can say confidently that God knows more than I do. And you would stand and say confidently, preacher, you are right, God knows more than I do. But when you're in the middle of the dilemma, And worry and anxiety and trepidation are wearing down on you, and there's no voice of God speaking in your ear, and all you can hear is what's going to happen to me. What about me? What's coming next? How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to make it through this? You really don't believe that God knows more than you do. I don't believe it, you don't believe it, we don't believe it. Let's just own that fact. Because when, it, when push comes to shove, you're going to do what you want to do and you're going to hope God's okay with it. But when you begin in the midst of your trial to acknowledge him, to admit the truth that God, you know better than I do how to. No, no. no. What happens is we get to the end of the rope. We ain't got one more knot we can tie. We don't have one more phone call we can make. We don't have one more friend we can call. We got nothing, and we'll say, God, got a problem over here. Now, I'm telling you how you make your faith count. That's not, that's not trust. That's I'm out of options, and I'm calling on God. That's that's I've made a mess of this, and I need a, a quicker picker upper you know you need to call bounty for that, and so in our effort for self preservation, we reverse the order and we act, and then we acknowledge it's like Japanese math it, it doesn't always make sense to me, and so if I'm going to make my faith count I've got to get the act i I've got to get the action out of the way and put the acknowledgement first. You see, you know, Abraham didn't wake up and say, God, what am I going to do? God interrupted his dream when it was filled with worry and trepidation and said, I am your shield and I am your great exceeding reward. And then Abraham yeah. turns around and says, well, while we're talking about this, God, what about me? And God said, you know what? I'm glad you asked. And they have that great conversation about all of those things. The truth is this, that the math does not add up. Hear this preacher now. Two plus two does not equal two. Six plus five does not equal 15. And so Abraham is standing before God and God said 20 some years ago, you're going to have a child. And now the math The reality of it is that God says to this great friend of his, he said, I'm going to take a 100-year-old man and I'm going to take a a proven 90-year-old woman who is barren, proven to be barren, and I am going to take those two and I'm going to put them together and I'm going to make a number that you can't even imagine. People, paper, pencils, candy. That math don't add up, it don't work for me. And it wasn't working for Abraham. And he said, I, how about Eliezer? This, this, uh, I got a, I got a servant son. He's a pretty good kid. Is all of this effort, all of this inheritance going to fall to him? And God said, no, no. It's going to come out of your loins. And he walks him outside. Somebody hear me now. If you, listen, you can't, me, faith is measured in the scripture. And God looks at Abram and he says, you know what? Uh, we got to change the equation here because you can no longer, you can no longer measure this. Uh, you've got to start counting it. And he said, walk out. Uh, I Walk outside with me in the middle of your vision, Abraham, and look up in the sky. And you look at the scars, and you tell the stars. What? Count them, Abraham. 17. No, no, start over. 14, 15, 16, big dipper, little dipper, somebody flipper. (sighs) I can't. And God said, No, no, you can't. You don't understand. This is not how it works. If your faith is going to count, you got to stop measuring it by little faith and great faith and saving faith. And you gotta start letting God do the math. And you God's gonna take zero plus zero and come up with a million. God's gonna take ten plus ten and come up with five hundred. But you can't. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm talking about making your faith count. We're stuck with a measuring. We're stuck by volume. We're stuck by precedent. And God said, that's not how it works in my kingdom. I count differently than you do. Well, I can't. I can't speak Japanese, sushi, Tokyo, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. I'm done. I got nothing else. I have absolutely nothing else. I don't know how it works. I can't tell you how it works, but somehow as a church, we've got to move beyond counting by volume. I've been here 10 years. I've been here five years. I've been with God for 30 years. That's volume. But God said, I got to do some new math. I got to take a press." I am your great exceeding reward. I'm greater than you can imagine. I'm going to do more than you can think or ask. I wish somebody had some faith in this place. I wish somebody would begin to look at their situation and say, you know what, the math doesn't work for me. I can't believe I got a zero and a five, and I'm still coming up with 20. Because everything that I was taught, and everything that you were taught in the world around us, 1 plus 1 is 2. 2 plus 2 is 4. Oh, 8 plus 8 is 16. 222 plus 222 is 444. Got to keep it simple so I don't blow up, Brother Josh. 250 plus 350 is 600. I, I, I can't, I, I'm working it out. I'm just trying to work this out. But somehow, in our minds and in our hearts and our spirits, somebody walked in today, and you don't know what's going to happen. You've got no. You're worried. You're exa- you got a trepidation and anxiety, and the Holy Ghost is in this room telling you you gotta quit looking at the numbers. You gotta quit looking. You gotta quit doing the math. You gotta you, know, you gotta walk outside with God and begin to look up at the stars. And God said, "You tell him. You tell the stars to me. You tell me what it's going to be." I wish somebody would have faith to walk in the impossible with God somebody would say you know what he's not just my shield he's not just my protector but he is my great exceeding reward come play brother Andre doesn't make any sense here's what we know about God The things of God seldom make sense to us. How many of you acknowledge that? I don't know how God did it. I don't know why God chose me. I'm glad he did. I don't know how God's going to do it. But here's where faith goes from measure to counting. Oh, man. Well, James, I've been doing this for a few minutes now. I ought to have great faith. Sometimes I feel like I've got little faith. Some days I wake up and I, I'm pretty sure I got no faith, yeah. brother Roberts. That's too transparent. That's just too true. Yeah. Can you imagine that God was so interested in Abraham that he interrupted his dream? Well, Katie was thinking about playing golf, you know, at Pebble or something. He was, he was into it, you know. He was out there, Brother Mike. He was fishing in the Keys. He was having a good time in his dream. He was, he was out there. You know, he had a big old sailfish on. He was, he was hammering that thing. And God walked in and said, you know what? I am. The same one that went through Egypt, the same one that delivered them and saved them over and over and over again, the same one who said, hey, Moses, just stretch out your rod. It's okay. Y'all going to walk through on dry ground. That same one, because the numbers don't add up. It's not physically impossible. It's not physically possible. They looked at physical impossibilities, and it happened over and over and over again. And there are people in this room that are dealing with some impossibilities. The doctor has said, or or somebody else has said, or, or this situation. And I can't tell you how it's going to, because I, I, I'm I just like you. I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm going, you know, 6 plus 6 does not equal 17. I don't know how you're going to work that out. You're, you're missing some numbers. It's just it's an impossible situation. But here's what I know about God. He said he is not a respecter of persons. He's not going to treat you any different than he did Abraham. He's not going to treat you any different than he does me. He's going to walk into your situation when that worry and that anxiety and that trepidation is weighing you down. When that when that that past is catching up with you and if you need a shield, he's going to raise the shield. That shield is going to be there. It's a protection. He's going to absorb that blow and take that punishment. He's going to enable you. You're like, oh, we made it through that one, but what about me? Where do I go from here? What's going to happen next, God? And God said, come here. Count them up. 1,723,006. 1,723,007. One million, twenty-three thousand, seven hundred and eight. One million, oh Lord, I forgot. You're never going to figure it out. Stand with me. There's a God in heaven. Hear this preacher on a Sunday morning. There's a God in heaven that cares enough about your circumstance to interrupt your worry and anxiety. To walk into your life. And he knows that those things just don't add up. He said, I don't have your back. I got your front. But more than just being a shield, I'm everything that you're ever going to need and more. I am your great and exceeding reward. This room, this afternoon, I have no idea what you're dealing with. I have no earthly idea what's going on in your life, but I feel in the Holy Ghost that God wants to minister to somebody You're dealing with an impossible situation. Many of you have been dealing with it for years, for decades and decades and decades, but the Holy Ghost is here telling you, don't you look at the math. Don't you look at the numbers. Don't you worry about how you're going to get through that. You just come one more time into the presence of God. You just come to an altar one more. You just come to an old rugged cross one more time, and the Spirit of God will convince you that He can do everything. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11am Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going away I've going